Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm, Propel. And today we're asking, how can board members and their organizations benefit from social media? Now, if you're a board member listening to this and heard the word benefit, No, that wasn't a mistake. There truly are some wonderful opportunities for board members online. But I know from experience that it's a narrative board members very rarely hear, particularly in mainstream media where it's far easier to find social media stories more closely linked to risk than reward. So what are the benefits? Why would or should any board member bother? And what do those organizations they're involved with stand to gain from their efforts online as well? Well, it's a pleasure to explore this topic on the Your Digital Reputation podcast with David Maywald, a full-time board member and father of two. David was previously an investment manager for two decades before transitioning to board roles almost five years ago, and he currently serves as a non-executive director of seven organizations across Australia, including the likes of Solar Share Community Energy Limited and St. John ACT. David, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's great to be here with you, Roger. I really appreciate it. And look, I've got to ask up front, what's easier to govern? Seven organisations or two children under seven? What what do you find trickier? <laughs> Little ones can be a lot more challenging than adults and uh, they certainly keep me and my wife on our top. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know which is less less uh, predictable, but anyway, uh, I, I, I trust that you can handle yourself and, and think quickly on your feet, which is a great foundation for today's conversation. So I'm looking forward to this. And David, I should say too, right up front, you and I actually met via a, an Australian Institute of Company Directors webinar uh, for board members not that long ago that I hosted a called Directors and Social Media, The Cost of Staying Silent Online. And it was off the back of that that you and I connected via LinkedIn. And it was one of the very first things that you said that struck me and what led to this conversation today. And you said you found LinkedIn to be an indispensable tool for both executive and governance roles. Now, given we know plenty of board members and executives think social media platforms like LinkedIn are actually incredibly risky, why is your view that it is in fact indispensable? Well, for me, it's become, you know, a daily application that I make use of um, to listen and to communicate and engage with some of the most important stakeholders for my roles. you know, if, if I was going to pitch the use of social media in general for board members and organisations, I'd see the three key aspects of that being that you're much more able to learn from a wide range of sources and stakeholders and you can form direct channels of communication to funders, clients, staff, executives and other board members. Secondly, it helps with practical tasks I've used LinkedIn, for example, for the recruitment of board members and executives and for helping with fundraising. Um, those are you know, essential aspects of, of being in a governance role. And then thirdly, it takes proactive ownership of your digital presence. Um, you know, I'm not one for being passive. I'm certainly one for embracing and um, being an earlier adopter. And um, it's crucial, you know, to, to have that ownership, not let other people uh, be writing uh, about your own digital reputation and um, to really lean in and, uh, and make the use of the platforms. Yeah, taking ownership is a really important point. And it's a 
a funny one that's often not discussed. And I do think that there's a perception that avoidance is actually safer than participation when it comes to social media. But as you rightly say, if you're not telling your own story, someone else is. And so participation is actually key in that regard. But what I'm interested to know, David, I mean, that the three areas you've just covered, they're very considered and thoughtful and purposeful, obviously, for where you are now. But where did your social media journey start and why? How, how have you come to that view? So I joined Facebook in December 2007 and, you know, I found it over that time to be a great um, way to connect with family and friends. Um, I was, when I was in investment management, most of my roles were covering global equities. So I was doing a lot of travel to North America and Europe, UK, some to Asia. And um, I ended up having contacts that were, were very widely spread. Um, you know, I had a lot of, a couple of thousand Outlook contacts from face-to-face meetings, from emails, from business relationships, from conferences and trips. And I was trying to keep track of those relationships, you know, using, using my personal, uh, you know, contacts and Outlook. And it becomes really unwieldy. And my brother-in-law actually was working in a very similar role in North America, in the US, and he invited me to join LinkedIn. And I did join um, back in June 2011. And um, as soon as I saw the way that that um, reduced the frictions for connecting and engaging with people over such vast distances, I started to love it and I made really active use of it, you know, even in that first year or two. Um, I've grown you know, my connections significantly. Um, I've got 15,000 followers now, and I've found it an indispensable uh, medium of connecting with people and having two-way conversations. I, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really use that much for, for the board roles and professional uh, reasons. YouTube is another one, actually, that I've found to be really helpful. I joined YouTube uh, 10 years ago, and I've got to say, I think it's an untapped medium for professional learning. and making connections across big distances. You know, I watch a whole bunch of panels and conferences and speeches and debates on YouTube. And I've got to say, the algorithms are quite sophisticated. Uh, LinkedIn's not great in terms of the, the sophistication of the search and some of the other algorithms, but YouTube's incredible. Um, I've been able to find content that's really targeted and specific to some of the, the challenges that I've had in the government space. Um, and, you know, I've never really looked back. I have to say, you know, obviously I do use email a lot. I have online meetings. Um, I love meeting in person. I'm so glad that we're not in a pandemic anymore. I've got to say I feel really alive right now uh, doing interstate travel, getting back to conferences. I love in-person, you know, meetings. And, in fact, I think you can't match that for the deepness and intimacy of the connection you get sitting across the table from someone having a coffee or in a meeting room. Uh, or in an informal situation. But, you know, I'd probably spend one or two hours per weekday uh, across all of the platforms. And of those, I'd use LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube probably the most. A little bit of Twitter. Um, I've chosen not to engage on Instagram and TikTok. I don't think they're really fit for my purposes. But, um, yeah, certainly I've been a consistent and very active user for at least the last eight years. And what I'm hearing through that, David, is, again, a sense of intentionality. 
to what you're doing, even in your decisions about what channels and where you do spend your time and where you don't. There's intentional choices there. But what's coming through is this idea, and I think you touched on it there in that preference for face-to-face contact. This isn't a replacement. It's not a substitute. It's actually an augmentation device or or an augmentation mechanism where what was at the core of how you were describing your experience with Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, for example, yes, there's the ability to access information, but really it's about the people providing it. It's about networks. It's about relationships. It's about finding people who can provide insight and expertise to you that elevates and grows your own career development or or if it's a specific issue that you're dealing with, as you were saying, from a governance capacity, you're now through social media getting access to these networks and these people who you may not otherwise have got as a way to augment what you're doing face-to-face. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. And, you know, this is where I'd make the pitch to some of the older board members, uh, you know, some of the directors who are a bit reluctant or have risk aversion or uh, a concern about um, sharing and, and opening themselves up to, um, to the, the sort of publicity or the public exposure of social media platforms is there are risks in not being engaged and actually you're missing out on opportunities. You know, our relationship wouldn't have got to this stage if we hadn't connected through one of the platforms. In fact, I've had a whole series of incredible conversations and relationships that have been built on the basis of meeting people electronically. And I think the pandemic, you know, forced us into some of those channels. Um, But it's been a pleasure actually to meet people in real life for the first time post-pandemic, you know, getting to conferences with ARCD and other organisations where we've started to build that relationship online, but then it's really deepened. And so if you're cutting off those opportunities for people to connect with you, then you never know what you're missing out on. And and I think there's another aspect too. You know, these days there's a higher expectation on board members and Part of that is being accessible to, to staff, executive teams, you know, fellow board members, and also whistleblowers. If people can't connect with you, how can they, they close that communication loop? How can they reach out to you in a situation where it's not possible to speak with their manager or with the CEO because it's a matter that actually needs to be escalated to a governance loop? So uh, I, I turn the risk kind of aversion on its head, really and say that any type of interaction has risks associated with it, but you're actually missing out on a bunch of opportunities that you're not even aware of. Would you go as far to say that there is almost a strategic risk for boards who are inactive? Because as you said, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you're missing out on by not participating within an environment where conversations are happening today. And they, they literally are, whether, as you said, that's staff, executive, whistleblowers, whomever, stakeholders are using these channels to an increasing capacity to make decisions, to share information. And if boards are collectively and board members individually not aware of this space and ac- actually actively avoiding it, does that present a risk to organisations today? Are they able to govern as effectively as they would without social media? There are some risks in terms of stakeholder engagement and having channels where information can flow, particularly um, with the importance of um, the higher burden on boards um, around being proactive on culture, um, 
some of the more recent innovations with um, psychosocial uh, workers, health and safety. Um, so, yeah, I, I would um, see it in, in the broader perspective of being engaged and communicating with your stakeholders. Um, I don't think there's a need, as I think your previous podcasts have discussed, to be on every platform, to have every medium, every channel. I think it's targeted. You've only got so much time. You've only got so much resource, especially in the smaller and medium-sized organisations. And so there's a need to be be targeted and using the most appropriate channels, just like I explained, you know, personally. That's from the organisation's perspective, but also from the individual director's perspective. Um, you know, a key aspect of managing a portfolio of roles where you might have two or three board roles, possibly several, if you're doing it full-time, is that you're always on the lookout for the next role. You're reaching out to um, broadening your network, you're becoming aware of opportunities. And so it, it is important to, uh, to have those multiple channels to be able to connect with people and to quickly act on them. So, and you are obviously a full-time board member today, but when you were talking about those early experiences with LinkedIn and the experience with your brother-in-law, when you made that transition from, uh, you know, the corporate world and an executive into a, a board member and the board roles that you now have today, did anything in your social media activities or attitudes change? Yeah, it, it did change and it took a while. Um, there's a different mindset between executive operations, the granular detail and the governing perspective, uh, which is more strategic and um, longer term. And it was a challenge actually during that transition period when I went from full-time to part-time and was picking up a couple of more onerous board roles. It took a couple of years to fully move into that mindset. And it is a different usage. Um, the type of, as I mentioned, the type of tasks that you might be looking to uh, get traction on have uh, often an element of reaching outside the organisation. You're listening to stakeholders, you're, you're seeking resources for the organisations, um, whereas there can be a much more specialist technical role uh, when you're coming from an executive uh, management um, perspective. So I, I certainly have used my, uh, changed my interaction and my usage of social media. Um, you know, in, in other respects, I think I've tried to become a lot more targeted with, with the types of content that I'm sharing, promoting, and the way that I'm engaging with people. And I've got to say, every year, I've become a little bit more and more targeted with that. And listening to your um, ARCD webinar and also listening to the, the Your Digital Reputation podcast, I think I've been become more intentional with what I engage with online to be really clear about what I want more of and how I want the algorithms to be responding um, so that it can be more effective. That's fantastic to hear. Obviously, from my perspective, I'm glad it's had a, a positive impact. And yeah, reinforce that, obviously. I like to use the phrase that you are what you eat a little bit. And so, if we are consuming intentionally, we are consuming purposefully on social media, ultimately, these algorithms have been designed to try and keep us on those platforms. If we tell it what we like, it will provide back what we like. And, and importantly, um, purposefully, 
information that's going to help us in our current roles, whether that's an executive role, whether that's a board member, a company director role. So I do wholeheartedly support that idea of intentional engagement. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Now, I wanted to let you in on a little secret. We also have a Your Digital Reputation newsletter. I know, creative title, right? It's free to sign up and a place where I share tips and tricks to help you get the most from your social media efforts. And I bust a few myths along the way too, like why you shouldn't repost content and what LinkedIn does when you tag your whole executive team. Want to sign up? Simply go to propelgroup.com.au and head to our subscribe page. It's that simple. You can even do it while you're listening right now. All right, back to this episode. David, I'm guessing that based on you know some of the things you're alluding to before in conversations you've had with other board members and perhaps you know of an older generation, but not necessarily um, just because of age. What, what would you say are some of the the conversations you've had in in boardrooms you've been part of, or with company director peers? What are the general views you say board members would have about social media? There's a reluctance to engage and to use it. And in a lot of cases, I think that's well-founded. There's, there can be a conservatism and a, uh, a preference for you know, unity and consensus building in the boardroom. Uh, and there's also you know, a real reluctance to share because you've got access to uh, confidential and sometimes private information and um, you've got obligations and duties around maintaining those confidences and um you know it's not just the use of use of social media but you don't tend to see a huge number of board members and directors uh, speaking publicly and being on the stage and and uh sharing authentically and so i think some of that's a it's a response to the uh, requirements of the the role Uh, others around hesitancy and and being careful about, um, you know, unintentionally sharing that confidential information. And um, so I think, you know, this is, this is slowly changing over time. Um, you know, there are some great examples of, of older and more senior non-executive directors who have shared from the experience. And I just reflect on David Gonski and the amazing speech that he made at the AICD conference earlier in the year. He was very open and uh, transparent about the good and the bad. Um, I tend to see a different type of usage from younger board members, including younger chairs. Um, yeah, from different chairs, you start to get under 60 and even more so in your 40s and 30s, that there's a real embracing of uh, the power and the channels. Um, and engaging with people. And I've got within my board some really great examples of, of chairs and, and directors who are active role models, um, who are demonstrating by their own actions and their own inclusivity uh, and their own share, sharing of, of insights and learning experiences that they're really trying to bring others along with them and, and that they are using their roles in a different way to some of the older chairs and directors that I've, I've seen. 
And I'd also like to get to some of those examples too um, that you've mentioned there and um, and maybe we can call out a couple of examples, particularly I think where boards and executives are working together. So we will come to that in this conversation. But before we get there, I just want to touch on that point you made about the perception of social media risk. I, I was at a conference recently myself where uh, I heard Brian Walsh from the AFL talk about uh, this idea of risk and reputation and he said the most dangerous place to sit is between a board and its reputation. And when I thought about that and reflected on it, I thought, well, I know who's sitting there right now and, and it's social media. Social media is sitting. From perception, it is sitting between a board and its reputation. And so I understand the scrutiny. I understand the, the concern and the fear around the, the damage it might do. Uh, whether through the executive or workforce or whether to, um, uh, you know, board members themselves and the decisions and actions they take themselves online. What are your reflections on that? Do you believe that social media might be seen as that uh, great source of reputational threat even? It is seen as a, a risk um, and a threat by some. Um, I think it's changing and... Um, the leadership's coming not just from from more digitally connected directors, but it's also coming from executive teams and it's coming from great examples of the, the strategic use of um, social media channels by comms and PR professionals. And directors are learning from that. And, you know, you're, you're a part of this change, Rog, and, and the expertise that you are helping to share amongst executives and board members has been really helpful. And it's starting a lot of conversations and it's showing good examples. And I think as we highlight more and more of these positive examples of stakeholder uh, consultation and engagement, uh, the, the sharing of positive stories, um, you know, responding to challenges such as the Royal Commission's and the reforms that are taking place in aged care and other sectors. I think there are more and more good examples that are outweighing the perception of risk. And we want to keep sharing those positive stories to at the very least counter the current narrative around the negative stories. And from my perspective, David, if we start to build comfort with social media, we then start to build confidence that it is something that can be used for good. And ultimately that will lead to an uplift in competence as well. So comfort, comfort leading to confidence, leading to competence is something that will then see this, you know, particular cohort in board members and, and company directors becoming more active themselves and, and ideally having wonderful, you know, positive impact as a result. And, and we touched on before. There are good examples out there, and I agree with you. I think even though they may not be commonplace, there are some great examples of board members and executives even working together online. And one that I know you're well across uh, is the Superfund Hester and the way that its chair, Nicola Roxon, and CEO, Debbie Blakey, use LinkedIn in a sort of you know coordinated or complementary way on key issues and statements for the business. What do you think it is about Hester and the way that Nicola Roxon and Debbie Blakey use social media uh, that that sees it as a an exemplar amongst other organisations? Partly, I think it's the, the particular um, cohort of, of super investors and the close affinity that they have. There's quite a strong alignment between the interests of the vast majority of their members, um, the workforce, the board, 
the leadership. And I think that's given Debbie a fantastic platform to be able to push out some really positive messages that have been uh, strongly embraced by members and broader stakeholders for HESTER. And, you know, it's not just that she's been a really sophisticated user of digital, but you see the parallels of that in terms of her in-person delivery speeches and panels, and she's very active in general in terms of engaging. And I think, you know, Debbie's certainly been one of the inspirations and role models that I've drawn from in terms of how I aspire to use LinkedIn and social media to communicate in general. That's a great example in terms of that consistency on and offline too, David. It's so important. There's no point a CEO, a chair, a board member being one sort of person offline and being a different sort of person online because that's the sort of inconsistency that, you know, it, it leads to questions. It leads to question marks around credibility and authenticity. And I agree with you. I think that Debbie is a, a great example of that. And even just the other day, I remember seeing a, a post that she made on LinkedIn around the voice to parliament and taking a position on that. And I love the wording she used about, you know, this is an important opportunity to accept the invitation from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And, and just having the, I suppose, the perspective and um, the, the wisdom to position things that way and understand the importance of her voice um, in leading and starting conversations with her stakeholders, I think is a really powerful statement to those um, who might be sitting there thinking, well, how can we take a position on issues like this? Um, and so I think it's encouraging to see those sorts of examples. And it's great to hear that it's had a, a positive impact on your own choices. And there are other voices that um, that I've really drawn a lot of inspiration from. Mike Edema is a sustainability guru um, from Northern Hemisphere who's had a lot of traction through Twitter and other platforms. Uh, I find a lot of his messaging really positive and optimistic uh, and inspiring. Uh, there's a couple, uh, Melissa and Chris Bruntlett, uh, who are based in the Netherlands and are very strong promoters of active transport and cycling and um, the health and community and the environmental benefits of, of uh, walking and cycling and reducing the use of fossil fuels. And Craig Foster, I've, I've found him to be a very effective communicator. I don't always agree with, with his opinions or with his politics, but uh, I think he's used um, online to complement his impassioned activism. Uh, and as the co-chair with Nova Paris, who's also a very you know, fluent uh, and sophisticated user of, uh, of online channels uh, in their co-chairing of the Australian Republican movement. Um, so, you know, those are some names that complement some of the executives, you know, that you've highlighted and, um, you know, they've, they've got different styles and I think there's a, a congruence between their actions online and offline and that's a key. You've got to be authentic. Um, you know, there's so much information available to people these days. You can't, you can't be inauthentic or act differently online and offline because it, it's transparent and it just gets found out. And I think the thing I'd add to that, David, is that doesn't mean that everyone has to be a Craig Foster. And as you say, you know, that is his style and has been his style consistently for many years. If you're a board member listening to this, it doesn't mean that you need to be out there banging the drum and, and standing on the soapbox. It's about reflecting your own approach. Using social media in a way that is both strategic and authentic is critical. So we've talked about, and you've actually mentioned some of these already, but I think it would be a really nice way to, to wrap this conversation. Benefits 
was obviously the focus of the, of the discussion today for board members and those organisations they're involved with. So I'm wondering if, you know, as a way, as an encouragement to other board members, how would you summarise some of the main benefits of social media to you both personally and to those organisations you've been involved with as a call to arms for other board members to start looking at social media differently? Well, I loved your conversation with Sheila Jardry and and I thought um, that she explained it quite well, that you're all going to have a different approach, a different style, and everyone yeah, with a portfolio, you're really working closely with a specific organisation. It's got a specific size, it's got a purpose, mission, uh, you're working with individual board members and the executive teams, and it's quite unique. And so, certainly, I don't think there's any cookie cutter approach here. Um, you know, I mentioned three of the key benefits that I see for other board members using in terms of learning and listening, helping with practical tasks, and taking ownership of your digital presence and your digital reputation. Um, but everyone's individually can use it slightly differently. You know, for example, for me, I um, I've got an exercise bike that. Um, I use in the mornings before the kids wake up and, and I watch um, conference replays and videos at the same time as I'm exercising. That's the way as a, you know, sort of a busy parent, I find an extra hour or two in the day to be able to consume some content at the same time as I'm working on my health. Um, for others, it will mean, you know, learning from, from your younger peers or relatives, uh, seeing how they've used these channels and these platforms and then tailoring it to what's most meaningful for you. Uh, experimenting, I think that's a key aspect. Uh, I love trying new things, seeing how they work. And actually, you know, there are ways to, to float um, potential um, business ideas, enhancements, lines that you think about, about using and to see the reception to them. You know, there's a conversation going on online. There's no point just posting and then walking away from it until your, your next weekly post. I actually enjoy the, the comments and the backwards and forwards and the debates online. Uh, and I think watching for those as they're coming in and getting involved in that, that conversation is really important to be an active participant in it. So it's actually you know, a fun way of, of learning and experimenting and trying some new things. And uh, I'd just say give it a go. And I think the, the the message that I'd reinforce in all that too, which is there, it's all good advice and it's all good encouragement and particularly learning from peers and experimenting, but experimenting in a safe place, David, I think is a really uh, constructive step forward for any board member. I mean, we, we've personally at Propel actually gone down that path and designed a course that's tailored for directors for that very reason. This idea that you can um, share with your peers who are facing the same challenges, have similar experiences, have similar considerations around what they can and can't do and learning together rather than feeling you are on your own um, and that you shouldn't touch this environment at all. So wholeheartedly encourage that. And I should also, David, give a shout out to you and, and the approach that you take because as you said, Everyone has their own way of doing it. Your exercise bike in the morning, I say hats off to you to get out of bed and do that before the kids are awake. I'm certainly not as energetic as that in the morning with our kids, but you've got your own approach. And I think that what I like about, you know, and where I've really um, benefited from seeing your examples and, and your conversations online is the sense of pride and responsibility you have for family. 
as a father and as someone who manages to balance both your commercial or corporate responsibilities, your professional ones, with your personal ones as a father and as someone who after this call today does have to go and get the kids from school and I greatly respect that. So I appreciate the personal approach that you bring to your communications online as well and how that gives me a greater sense of of who you are as a human being and why I would want to reach out and have a conversation with you. So I'm really grateful that that we've had the opportunity to, to get your perspective on the show today, David. And as we've discussed, I, I do feel that board members, they need to hear a different narrative around social media. And hopefully your story is one that others can look to as much as the, you know, the Debbie Blakeys of the world. I think it's important to hear your story as well. So if people do have questions or encouragements from today's show, what's the best way for them to reach you? Please connect through my LinkedIn profile. Um, very keen to, uh, to connect and um, reciprocate and I'd, I'd love to hear from you wonderful david mawald thank you so much for sharing your insights on the your digital reputation podcast it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure speaking with you thanks again for listening if you've learned something from today's conversation please subscribe leave a review and share it with others for all show notes head to propelgroup.com.au thanks again for listening <laughs>